This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Now here at the Menopause Movement, we've surveyed over 50,000 menopausal women. And through this, we've discovered that the number one cause of menopausal suffering for our clients is weight gain. Now you've said things like, how do I lose the mental belly? I don't recognize myself anymore. How can I get me back? When menopause hit me out of the blue, I had no idea what was happening. And when I gained about 50 pounds overnight, I hated what I saw in the mirror. The menopause movement exists to provide world-class transformational education to women who are suffering from the symptoms and effects of menopause. And we're here to give you the education you need to get your life back. We want menopause to be the best time of your life. I mean, it is for me and I want that for you. After years of trial and error, I finally cracked the code with my menopause weight. And now I want to share with you how I did it. I realized that what helped me the most was a challenge. So we've created a challenge for you to help you lose your mental belly. Simply go to menopausemovement.com forward slash challenge to sign up. I'll see you there. What's up, Menopod? I'm still training for my 5K and the training is taking up more and more of my time. I have this week and next week of hard training, and then I get to taper for my race, my 5K race on June 19th. By the time this episode airs, the race will be done, but I want to keep you updated with what's going on in my life. You know, I never thought of myself as an athlete, and almost always I felt less than because I didn't participate in organized sports when I was growing up. My best friend in high school was a forward on the basketball team, and she actually won a scholarship to college with basketball. Me, not so much. I started running back in high school and I took this class called Reading, Writing and Running. And even though I ran more than any other girl in the class, I still felt like I wasn't good enough. And I always thought I sucked. Fast forward to when I started running again in my 50s and I couldn't run for more than a minute at a time. And I only did one mile uh, when I first started. I like to say that anything worth doing is worth sucking at it first. And I actually did suck at running until I didn't. And the point I'm trying to make here is that you can do anything you put your mind to. And that's what today's episode is all about. In this episode, I talked to Halima Yates, who is the CEO and founder of Lovemark, spelled L-U-V-M-R-K. It's a coaching company that provides transformational workshops, events, and multimedia productions on self-empowerment, social, emotional, and mental wellness, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Lovemark inspires others to recognize their power to transform themselves in ways that positively impact their life and their community. Her clients include nonprofits and national and international companies that embrace positive uh, self-identity, recidivism prevention, and inclusive and equitable work environment. She has over 20 years experience participating in and providing various programs, workshops, and multifaceted performances addressing self-esteem, social issues, and cultural competence to cultivate a more compassionate approach to the way we treat ourselves and others. Halima's past experiences have led her to publish Dissolving the Anchor, Untethering Dysphoria and Self-Doubt to Create an Empowered Life. This book is a part is part memoir and part self-help guide, and it consists of narratives, poetry, and amazing illustrations that she commissioned from artists worldwide, giving you a real and raw look into the experiences that caused her negative self-image and low self-esteem, which led her to substance abuse and suicidal ideation. She then details how she came out of that struggle to change her mindset 
to finally value herself, stop her self-sabotaging, and make choices where she now lives a life that she has chosen throughout her adulthood. Halima gets raw and real with us about self-doubt, low mood, self-esteem, and how she attempted suicide at 16. Please, if you think your life is worthless and the only way to end your pain is to end your life, know that you are loved and not alone. During the podcast, we talk about self-esteem, social justice, and, and racism. Looking in the mirror and changing that narrative, Halima's suicide attempt and what led to it, her spiritual journey that helped her change her thinking, the importance of now, feeling the feelings, and stay to the end to find out how to be there for others when they are hurting. At the end of this episode, visit menopausemovement.com forward slash podcast where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy this episode, leave a written review, like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. And tell me, what's your biggest menopause struggle? I really want to know. And let me know at, on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Gordon or on Facebook at Dr. Michelle Gordon. And thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Halima. Halima, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm super excited to have you here today. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, who you serve, how you got started. Yeah, well, Dr. Michelle, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, so for the past 20 years off and on, I would collaborate with other people working on building self-esteem, providing programs where we build self-esteem and also promote social justice. Mm -hmm. And because I decided I wanted to dedicate my life to that, I decided to start my company, Lovemark. It's spelled L-U-V-M-R-K. And Lovemark is a coaching company where we guide people to value themselves as well as others. And we do that through providing a couple different workshops. One of them is for self-empowerment to, um, to foster social, emotional, and mental wellness. And then the other one is diversity, equity, inclusion training in order to endorse humanizing perceptions of each other so we can cultivate and uphold environments where we're being respectful, we're being inclusive, and we're being fair. And yeah, so with doing my workshops, I have seen a lot of, I've been pleased with the impact it's been having and, and the feedback I've been getting. And it helped me to realize how to finish a book that I started years ago. And I, it helped me to know what I really wanted to say, how I can make it more effective for the reader. And so I just self-published a book called Dissolving the Anchor, Untethering Dysphoria and Self-Doubt to Create an Empowered Life. And what that is about is I'm using narrative, poetry, and art that I commissioned from artists worldwide, providing a part memoir, part self-help guide, giving you a real and raw look at experiences that I've had that had led to my negative self-image, low self-esteem, substance use, suicidal ideation, and then how I was able to come out of that struggle to finally value myself and stop self-sabotaging ways and create choices where I am being able to create the kind of life, make choices where I'm able to create the kind of life that I want to live. I love that. So there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And for anyone who's listening, who's watching, I had to take my glasses off because they steamed up because I just got off the elliptical and uh, I'm sweaty. So uh, 
that's just life, you know, it happens. Mm -hmm. So anyway, let's, let's talk for a minute about diversity and inclusion and how you, how you work with that. And, you know, last year we had the Black Lives Matter, you know, the whole thing with, with George, George Floyd. Floyd. That's George Floyd. I feel so bad. I forgot. So the whole George Floyd thing and, it, and what happened for me is it, is it made me really think about what it means, you know, to be an American and to, you know, what white privilege is. And, you know, I really had to take a really hard look. And actually, I did a podcast about it. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, we did a podcast about how I just, I said, I know, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to think about this, you know, and it kind of led me down this road of, of trying to understand social justice and a little bit better. And so, and I've noticed that, that some of the thought leaders in the industry, like uh, Brene Brown, she's partnered with some people to create some social justice education. And, and of course, it all starts with a thought. It starts with a, an understanding of how America was built, right? I mean, we can, we can just start right there. And the people that, I mean, I, I don't know how, what do you, what do you do with people who deny that there's racism in America? That, I mean, how do you, I, because I've got people that I, I'm, I love and respect who say that it's not a racist country. And we, you know, we know that we're, we're divided. I mean, North and South is divided on race. So what, what's your take there? Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's difficult because the people who don't believe racism exists, they're benefiting from racism. They don't want to realize that racism exists. They're choosing to um, to believe that it doesn't exist because it is evident that it does. It is it is embedded in every institution, whether it's housing, education, yeah. mental health. It's it's everywhere. So the people who don't want to believe that racism exists is because they don't want to pay attention to all the evidence that's showing them otherwise. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really good. I mean, we believe what we believe and we seek evidence to support our beliefs, right? And so if you don't take the opportunity to view what exactly is happening in the world, you're only going to see what's happening in your world. So if you don't take the time to take a look and actually be open to other people's views, you're never you're never going to see it all. And those people I would say are probably not the people that you're going to want to talk to. <laughs> I mean, you can't change their minds. They tend to be like angry and defensive, right? Well, so when I do workshops, I, I typically, when it's for diversity, equity, inclusion, I typically work with com corporations and uh, nonprofit sure. organizations, and we do group sessions. There may be people in there who do not believe in what I'm saying. I don't ask, you know, who, raise your hand if you believe racism exists or doesn't exist. But what I do is I have people be aware of, how our perceptions are going to influence what we do and how we feel about things, what we think about things and how we're going to react to situations or interact with other people. So I do that in a way where I share a story that people, most people can relate to and have them realize that once we're told a story and we believe it, when we accept it, then it becomes our reality. Mm -hmm. And once that becomes our reality, everything that we do is going to reflect that belief. So I start with that so they can realize, oh, what did, what stories have I heard that I believed? And then now that's my reality. And we look at images for them to realize how they're interpreting these images to know that we use our memory to recognize what we're seeing and, and, and then we look at how we interpret it. And it comes from who yeah. we are. It's not about what we're seeing, it's how we're seeing it. So I start with that so people can be aware of, we have these thoughts for a reason and we continue to believe the story or we start to realize, wait, there may be something more yeah. to this. I, I think that's really important. And you know, I, I read White Fragility and the author of that book talks about how in doing workshops that you know people would just leave 
they would just get really mad and leave. And so I, we're, we're going to move on, but, but, you know, it's, it's a matter of challenging, challenging everything you believe. And, and we talk a lot about belief and our lives here on the menopause movement podcast and how mindset is truly just a series of beliefs, right? And a belief is just a thought you keep thinking over and over. And so when you change your thoughts, you can truly change your life. And the problem is, is that the brain works in a way that it always wants to think the same thoughts over and over again, because it's easier. It doesn't want to be challenged. That's why meditation is so great. And that's why it's so important for us to challenge, you know, especially if we're not getting results we want, to challenge the beliefs that we have to kind of, you know, get going. And, and it sounds like that's what you do. So let's, let's move on to what Love Mark is and why why you started that. You did touch on that a little bit uh, in your intro there, but let's let's hear a little bit more of a, uh, a story there. Yeah, well, when I first started Love Mark, I originally wanted to promote happiness. Like I wanted to exhibit the ways that were there for each other, leaving our, the various ways of leaving our mark in the world with love. So that is still important to me. I, I feel it's important for us to see how we're good to each other. We need to see happy messages and uplifting messages because there's so much going on where it can bring us down and it's dividing us. So I wanted to provide whatever I could to exhibit how we're good to each other. And then I realized, well, the battles that we face individually and as a society, I thought it was important to still do that, but also I primarily focus on doing these workshops because I want us to be aware of what we can do to actually create real positive social changes that are long lasting. And in order to do that, we have to be aware of our perceptions. How are they shaped? How did the media, um, our environment, religion, education, politics, our family, our peers, our experiences, how did all that shape how we see ourselves, life, others, the, you know, the world and how that's affecting us, affecting the choices that we make. So I, I thought that it was important to make sure that I had those workshops because that our perceptions are mm. going to determine what we do. So in order to make real change, like you said before, we have to. Yeah, no, that's great. Boss. So are you doing, you know, did COVID change your business model? Do you do your workshops online now? Yeah, I've been doing my workshops all okay. online. Yeah. Yeah, I used to do it in person, um, but I actually like it either way. I love it in person. I love, you know, being able to see people interact with them because I like to do activities as well. Um, but online, I just had to shift it a little bit for those activities to happen. But group discussion is always a part of it. So I, I was able to Got it. work it out. So I want to talk a little bit about not wanting to look in the mirror because a lot of menopausal women will relate to that. And, you know, I talk about how, you know, we, I just refuse to look in the mirror or every time I looked in the mirror, I, I, I said to myself, you're so fat and, and the way that I changed that. And what happens in menopause is that women gain weight and we gain weight because of estrogen loss. And the biggest thing is, you know, I mean, we've, we've surveyed over 50,000 women in menopause and, and the, the overwhelming complaint is I can't lose weight or the, the weight's going on and I don't recognize myself and, and I just don't want to look in the mirror. So what happened with you? And let's, let's just hear the story there. Yeah. So in the book, I share how I did not like mm -hmm. my reflection and it happened from a multiple of different ways. Growing up, I just, I didn't fit in with my family and then when we, there was about 11 of us that lived in a house. I was the youngest and I just 
was left out. And so I felt like I was unwanted and unlovable. So that started um, creating how I felt about me yeah. or about myself. And then when we moved, when my mother remarried and we moved into an environment where there wasn't really a lot of ethnic diversity. And so I felt like I wasn't included in a lot of ways. And then what we were taught in school, I wasn't really seeing positive messages of what my race had to offer. It was just taught, we were just taught our oppression. And then in the media, I was constantly seeing, I wasn't seeing, you know, black women as someone to desire. And, and it started with dolls too. Like, I don't like, I did not like playing with dolls, but because I was assigned female at birth, they just assumed, well, she's a girl, let's give her dolls. And uh, that was my first introduction to beauty because, you know, they're little replicas of, of humans. And uh, it was Barbie, blonde hair, blue eyes. I didn't see Barbie dolls that looked like me. So I wasn't seeing myself represented, whether it was in magazines, uh, books, with dolls, uh, movies, no positive representation in any way. And so that made me feel like my image didn't matter. Who I was, was it didn't matter. I had no worth. And when I looked in the mirror, that's what I saw. I was seeing how the world saw me uh, or how I felt like the world saw me instead of seeing myself. So it, it took a long process. You know, after my suicide attempt, I had a choice to either continue struggling in life it was not just how I felt about how I looked, but just life challenges and feeling lonely and useless, you know, things like that. And I had to realize, you know what, I'm either going to continue living this way, which is painful, or, you know, am I going to attempt, try and attempt to take my life again? So I decided yeah. I needed to change my life. And I had to look at everything that taught me I didn't matter, everything that taught me I wasn't good enough. I had to explore all those lessons, all of those experiences, and unaccept any devaluing views as truth and be able to forgive people and myself for certain experiences because I'm holding on to the weight of that pain and that guilt. And in doing that, you know, it helps me to start to change my internal di dialogue instead of looking at myself in the mirror. I hated everything about me. I literally would, t in the book, I share how yeah. vicious I was with myself. I even looked mm -hmm. in the mirror saying, I hate you. And that was horrible. And the process to change that dialogue to actually say I love you was a difficult road. And it's something that you continue to work on, not not allow out external validation to, you know, dictate your work. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a long that. road to get to understanding that our worth comes from inside. And so just to unpack this, because you know, you you've shared that that you attempted suicide and so uh, do you mind sharing a little bit more deeply about that? I don't want to pry. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, I've been, I don't want, you know, because this is, this is such a delicate topic and, and I have personal experience with yeah. suicide. One of the, one of the people who worked for me, a surgeon died by suicide in November of 2019. And it was, it was shocking because he seemed to have everything. And he had everything going for him. He was yeah. a surgeon, you know? And so, so that was, that was really hard. And, and so for someone who chooses life after a suicide attempt, I, I guess one of the things I want to know is like, what did you do to try to, you know, and did you end up in the hospital and how long did you stay as in an inpatient psychiatric <laughs> facility afterwards? So when I was 16, I actually, before I was 16, I, I found that my parents had a gun in their bedroom and they thought that it was well hidden mm -hmm. in their sock drawer in my stepdad's sock drawer. And when I found that gun, I didn't pick it up until the pain 
was just so heavy. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel any reason to be here anymore. And that's when I picked the gun up and was like, this is what can end my pain. But instead of using the gun, thankfully, I put the gun back and I went to the closet and got out some aspirin. And I just emptied the bottle of aspirin. Each pill explained why I was doing it, why it made sense. I was rationalizing why I was doing this. And when I was done taking the aspirin and I'm sitting there at the kitchen table and I'm, you know, hearing these thoughts like, this is, don't do this, you know, and I started to get scared. I started to get scared of what's going to happen to me, what's on the other side. And I started feeling weird and I called a friend and I, you know, I shared with her that I Mm. did something and she was like, what did you do? Um, So she came over and got me, took me back to her place. And there was a couple other friends that were there. They tried to help me, you know, vomit the pills. And that didn't work because I didn't eat anything that day. So we went to a restaurant, like, you know, fast food restaurant to try and eat something so I can vomit. And I just started feeling horrible. And I was like, call poison control. Maybe they can let me know what I can do. And instead of calling poison control, my friends called 911 and the ambulance came. And I'm in the ambulance and the guy's asking me, why did you try to take your life? And I said, because I felt alone. And he said, you got all these people around you, yet you feel alone. Like he mocked me and he didn't understand that I felt alone. I didn't feel like I fit in. I felt like I didn't matter. There were so many things I was going through where I thought to end my pain, I had to end my life. And it took me going. So after that happened, they had, they let me go. Um, The next day, my family. My parents came and got me and they let me go with them. And I went to see a therapist and the therapist, you know, we met that one time I came back and he forgot that we had an appointment for someone who wow. felt like they didn't matter. And then the therapist forgetting them that, <laughs> yeah, that didn't help. So I, you know, my grandmother, she was like, well, let's try a different approach. And she worked at a metaphysical store. So she had me meet with a spiritual guide and that spiritual guide let me know that I have a purpose everyone has a purpose. And in order for us to continue choosing to see tomorrow, we have to realize that we have a purpose. And what is that purpose? And so ever since then, I worked on my self-discovery and self-realization and kept realizing what I could do in order to change my internal dialogue, in order to know my worth, in order to be happy. What activities can I participate in to be happy? What activities do I need to stop doing or what people do I need to stop being around? that were damaging to my mental health and uh, just only focus on things that could help build me up and lift me up. So that's what I yeah, had to do. That's, to I think, get and you were 16 struggle. when you did that. Wow. So t- yeah. teenage years is a tough time. I, I, I was suicidal for a minute in, 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 in my teenage years and I had, uh, I had run away from home and I had just a bunch of, a bunch of memories that came up because I was really badly abused as a child. And I remember, you know, I had like the razor, I had a razor blade just sitting on my, on my dresser. I don't know why I was, razor blade was there, but it was, I put it to my wrist and the thought was, and, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't so much like, like what you're, you're talking about how you just felt worthless and alone. And I felt, I, I, you know, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I've ever really unpacked all the feelings or thoughts that I had back in the day. All I knew is that no one was listening to me. I was telling what happened and no one would listen. And it was so frustrating to me and I was punished because I told, right? And so I, I was sitting there, I was like, well, nobody cares, nobody cares, nobody cares. That's probably what was going through my mind. And so I put this razor blade to my wrist and I and I put touched it there and I was like, oh, that's really gonna hurt. <laughs> 
So I put it down and ran out and went for a walk. And my dad ran after me because he thought I was running away again. It was really a funny, funny situation. And I'm like, just leave me alone. I'll come back. I promise I'll come back. I said, I just had a razor blade to my wrist. I just need to break, you know, get a... Get a breather. And that was the only time. I, I, I remember when I was a teenager, I used to talk about, you know, create ways to die, really cool ways to die. And and I mean, obviously I I don't think like that anymore. But but those are those are some things that I think as teenagers, we it's just such a hard time for us because our bodies change, our minds change. We become, especially women, become sexual objects. Uh and we may have been sexual objects as children, like I was, but but we start to see more as, as our, as our bodies develop and, and the way we're treated in this patriarchy. And so it's a really hard time to come of age, especially if you're feeling alone. So your friends took care of you and you yeah. started on a spiritual journey at 16. I'm so jealous because I didn't start my spiritual journey until I was in my forties and it saved my life. It really did. And so, so you started the spiritual journey and do you, were you raised any sort of religion? Well, when, mm. So I was born in Wichita, Kansas, and at that point, my mother and I and uh, my sisters lived with my father's uh, mother, and she was Catholic. And so for a while there, we did go to Catholic churches. And then when we moved to Denver, where, I, where I'm here now, we went to a lot of different churches, but it was really, I, I loved the metaphysical side of things. My grandmother, yeah. she... That's what she believed in. And just looking at things in a different perspective, it had me realize that religion didn't matter. It was how we love each other, how we treat ourselves, how we treat others. That's what mattered to me. And that's what I decided to have be my beliefs is just pay attention to how we're treating each other, how I'm treating other people, how I'm treating myself and focus on that and not allow religion to have me decide what's right, what's wrong, who's good, who's bad, you know? So um, for me, it's just about- Yeah, and it's really funny because being good to each other. religion- I, I I was pretty religious growing up and I was raised Catholic and then I then I went to the Holy Roller side of things and I it's, it's an embarrassing time in my life, I, I'll tell you. But um, it was all part of my spiritual journey. But it's it's funny because as I started to really understand the the way that we took religion and turned it into a- you know, kind of a form of culture control more than anything else. And, you know, if you read A Course in Miracles, right? Have you, have you read that, A Course in Miracles? It's just about love <laughs> and how what we really are is a piece of God. I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're made in the image of God and we can access that if we just, I mean, I don't know, I like to say if all we have to do is turn our heads and there's God. And and it's, so it's 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 really very very different from from the way that the kind of organized religion, the religion complex, looks at things. And accessing accessing the supernatural is not that hard, but it, it does take a, a change in the way you think to make it happen. So dissolving the anchor, right? So your anchor at that time was your self image, you would say, or your felt feelings of unworthiness. Yeah, my anchor was definitely how I saw myself, how I felt about myself. Mm-hmm. I, I had no respect for myself. I didn't value myself. I I thought I was nothing. And feeling like you're worthless and, and feeling hopeless, it just, it made no sense to be here. I kept trying and, and trying to feel like I mattered and trying to feel 
seen and heard. And I didn't realize, I was so in a place where I didn't feel like I mattered. I couldn't realize that there were people in my life who were showing me that they cared. All I could see was that no one cared. And that's all that I kept focusing on that. And, and because of that, I realized how important it is to be aware of what you focus on, because what you focus on does increase and you, and you feel like that's all there is. So it's important to realize that what are you focusing on? And is this real? Are, are these, is this the truth? Or is this something that you've been taught in a way or something you've experienced that taught you that this is your reality. And if it's not building you up, if it's not helping you to be your best self, be a great person or be having a healthy self-esteem, healthy self-image, then that's not your reality. And it's important to not look at that as your reality. And um, yeah, I think that's so important that your story and know your work. What we think about expands and, and I first heard that from Oprah Winfrey. And the other thing that is what we think, no matter what, we are going to, we're going to find a way to prove that, that our thoughts are real. So if we choose to think that we're worthless, then we're going to find evidence that we're worthless. If we choose to think that we're worthy, we're going to find evidence that we're worthy. And the way to access, there's a, there's a little hack that I learned from Vishen Lakhiani from his book, The Buddha and the Badass. And it's really, if you, if you ask your subconscious mind a question, it has to go to work to make it, make it so, right? And so what I do every morning, and this has helped me to lose since February, close to 20 pounds, right? And, and I lost 50 pounds in my menopause journey, but I still was overweight. And so I wanted to lose some more because I, I have a passion for running and I have a passion for being an athlete. And I finally embraced it. It's like, I really, really like athletics. And I wasn't an athlete when I was younger, but I'm an athlete now. And, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm an athlete. So I, I need to lose this weight so that I can get better. Right. And so the question I ask myself in the morning is, how did I get so fit and healthy? And that has like helped to change my behavior to the point that, you know, I can, can run a 5K and I, you know, I think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm training for one right now. And hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll give, I'll give everyone an update. I'll give the middle pod an update about how it goes. Uh, it's on June, it's actually on Juneteenth. And, and I, what, what I'm super excited about is I'm hoping to do a personal record. It should be under 30 minutes. So the point, the point is, is that we can do anything. And the only thing that holds us back is the way we choose to think. And I'm learning this more and more and more as I delve into kind of the more advanced, not just metaphysical, but just thought work. And it's, it's really, it's just really, really important. And so if you want to figure out how to dissolve your own anchor, then, then, you know, buy Halima's book. Uh, there's also another really good book by, I think it's Richard Dots called Dissolve the Problem. But any problem we have is a result of our thoughts. Any, any negative result we have is a result of our thoughts. And I can't stress that enough that, that, there, there is a circumstance that happens, you know, whatever it is, there was an earthquake, right? Or it snowed, or my car got buried in snow. I mean, I'm thinking about things in Denver. <laughs> you know, you guys had snow up until the, like in May, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Sometimes yeah. it could even so, snow. So, so I'm just I thinking mean, about that. I think and we're and snow. We'll see. But yeah. The misery comes when we change, when we, when we create thoughts around it. And it isn't, you know, the thing that happens is neutral. It's just a thing. But whatever I choose to tell myself about that and how I choose to think, that's what causes our misery. And that's what the Buddha went through, right? I mean, you, you go back and you look at the Buddha and the Buddha sat underneath the banyan tree mm -hmm. until he got an answer. Like, why is there suffering? And, and it sounds so simple, but it so is not easy because we get stuck in these like recurring thoughts that go over and over and over. And then there's our suffering. 
And there was something you said that I feel is essential for mm. people to notice when you said, why am I so flippin' healthy? You spoke in the present tense, and that's what is, a, is essential for us to grow as well, is speak in the present tense. If you want to feel a certain way, if you want to be doing certain things, look at it as if it's already happening. Look at it as if you already are that, because it is within you. And when you tell yourself, this is what is going on. This is who you are. And when you say, I am, put, this is what I'm doing. This this is um, how I'm being. Whatever you it is, put it in the present tense because that's what your mind right. is going to believe and what we believe. Yeah, you know, Eckhart Tolle had an awakening, so, yeah, right? You know who he is, Eckhart Tolle. He, he wrote a book called Power of Now and A New Earth and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other yeah. stuff. And he just mm-hmm. woke up one day in July and everything was kind of like shimmering. And it's really funny. Like I, I'm a big audiobook person. I listen to a lot. You know, I, when I run, I'll listen to a book and, and I listen to them. Uh, I, I, I'm not very patient. So I listen to them at like 1.5 to 2x speed. But him, he's never in a hurry. So he gets he gets a 3x speed listen. <laughs> but he teaches that, you know, when you can stay in the now, you can't fail now, right? When the past becomes, you know, becomes present or when you future pace yourself into the future and you start thinking about all the negative things that can happen, that's where anxiety starts. That's when depression starts. But when you stay in the now, you just can't fail the now. And I think that's that's just such an important thing to to learn. So let's talk a little bit about how to end your pain and not your life. Yeah. In order for myself and what I also share with others is looking at resolving what's causing the pain. When you are aware of why you're hurting, why do you feel you don't matter? Why do you, why are you angry? What happened? What did you experience? What did people tell you? You Look at all the factors that are involved that have brought on the pain that you're feeling and realize what you're able to do in order to resolve those issues. What do you need to realize is not your truth? What experience did you have that you need to emotionally heal from? So once you realize what's causing your pain, mm-hmm. you're, there, you're then able yeah. to dissolve it. You know, that's why it's called dissolving the anger. What's, what's holding you back from happiness and, and living a life you really want to live? And uh, when you do that, you, you're able to realize your autonomy to make the choices that are going to be keeping you in the situation you're in or taking you backwards or steering you forward. So just realize that you have a choice and what are you going to do to resolve issues or manage and overcome current issues? You can change anything in an instant because we can change our thoughts. That took me, it was just so hard to learn, but it's been really great to kind of put that into practice as, as I've gotten, you know, older and wiser, as it were. How can people be there for other people? And and you talk about this in your outline, and I, I'm just, you know, I, I think I need a little bit of context there. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why I, I say we can be there for others is because I want to provide some attention to sometimes people will look at those who are dealing with emotional distress or suicidal ideation in a way where that person's weak-willed, they're defective, they, they tell people to snap out of it, uh, there's other people worse off than you. It comes from like a judgmental way. So I'm just sharing how it's important to look at the people who are experiencing what they are in a non-judgmental way, be compassionate, be empathetic, and listen to what they're going through, be understanding to how they're feeling. And if 
you know, be supportive in a way that you're there for them. And I'm not saying that you're, it's on you to save their life. Obviously, you being there for them can save a life and that is helpful, but it's up to us to take the steps necessary to create the happiness and the love and the peace that we want in our life. But you being there helps us know that we're not alone. You being understanding is, is being supportive. And if we also talk about what we're all feeling, what we're all thinking, it will help people to realize that they're not alone and, you know, release the stigma associated with mental health on, on thinking mental health always has to deal with, you know, some disorders or some condition. Our mental health is affected from dealing with certain situations in life, certain circumstances can be harmful to our mental health. So when we talk about it more, we realize that we're not alone and more people may feel comfortable getting help and that could also save a life. Mm, I love that. So meet people where they are and try try to suspend your judgment. That's 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 my takeaway from what yeah. you just said. Yeah, don't don't judge. It's 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 really hard to be to be in pain and have somebody tell you that that, you know, it's not real. And it's not <laughs> because it's our thoughts. Yeah. But when you're in, when you're stuck in it, it's when, especially when you're in a funk, right? Yeah. That's, that's when things just really, and it's so, oh man, it makes you so angry when somebody like says, well, you can get out of that. It's like, ah, oh, I mean, you. It is true that we can get out of it, but when they say that they're invalidating our feelings at the moment, you know, yeah. I, I, it's a, I say that allow yourself to go through the emotions. If you're feeling down, allow yourself to feel down. Whenever we look at, you know, crying as weakness or sadness as weakness, no, it's real emotions. It's human emotions. It's okay to feel that way. Allow yourself to feel that way. And then work through the process of what can you do to elevate your mood? Yeah. And I think that's the problem with the, um, with with the uh, the positive, uh, you know, I, I, what do they call? It? I think it's uh, toxic positivity, right? Because if if you if you're gonna just if you're gonna tell people just to think positively all the time, then they don't have the opportunity to actually feel the negative feelings. And and our feelings are there as a beacon; they're there to help us figure it out, right? And and yeah, the feelings come from a thought, but sometimes you really do have to feel the feels. I mean, you know, if your dog dies, you're gonna feel sad. Right. I mean, you know, grief is a real thing. And so it's important to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, but to still also understand that your thoughts around it are the things that are going to create your reality. And that's so important. So what about mental wellness, social wellness, emotional you know, wellness? I, how, I, how if can I answer you, that, it'll be everything we would there. say. <laughs> it has to do with your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the relationships you have with people, um, what, what kind of relationship do you feel you deserve? Um, what kind of love do you feel you deserve? Um, that, that all goes with how you think, how you feel about yourself, and how we're aware of our emotions and how we're managing our emotions and, and what are we thinking. All of that has to do with everything we've been talking about. And it, it all goes down to thoughts always. Just when we're aware of how we're thinking, we're able to realize how our thoughts are influencing our choices and they're creating either unfavorable or favorable results and experiences. So yeah, yeah. be aware of what you're thinking. That's, that's so important. And, and for anyone in menopause, so a lot of women in menopause feel alone, feel worthless. Um, 
you know, start to have a lot of shame around their bodies. And I, I just want you, if you're listening to this or watching this on, you know, one of our other, you know, video platforms, just, just know that you are not alone and that we're here for you. There's help. And you can always reach out to us at the menopause movement, support at menopause com. And Halima, how can people find you? Oh, you can go sorry, to Halima, Halima, how can people find you? You can email me there, uh, subscribe to my newsletter and also um, social media. You can choose which one you want to follow me on. I'm typically on Instagram more and then I'll push uh, what I post on Instagram to Facebook. But yeah, um, just go to hiyates.com. You can order the book from that site and then also contact me. That's great. Was there anything else you were hoping to share that we didn't get to? You know, there was a moment where I was like, oh, there was something you said. I'm like, oh, I want to keep going with what she just said. And now I forgot. Oh. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, darn, I don't remember. Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, okay. thanks thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. And everyone go to hiyates.com and buy her book. She's awesome. Thanks so much. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. And I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Mm -hmm.